Good morning, Grace Hill. How are you? Good to see all of you this morning. My name is Alan. Um, as Evan mentioned, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill. So if you're new or newer and I haven't met you yet, I'd love to be able to meet you uh, after the service uh, today. If you have a Bible, go ahead, open that up to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, kind of later in your New Testament, chapter one. Hebrews chapter one is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, obviously, as you can see on stage this morning, and Mel mentioned it, um, today is the first Sunday of Advent. So hard to believe that we're in the Christmas uh, season already. Um, but Advent traditionally is um, something the church celebrates for the four Sundays uh, preceding Christmas. And so every year, that's what we do at Grace Hill. We just pause wherever we're at and we uh, celebrate Advent together for these four Sundays. So we were in the midst of a sermon series on 1 Thessalonians. So obviously we'll press pause on that and we'll return to 1 Thessalonians in January and we'll finish up that book so that we can spend some time thinking about remembering Advent. Now, Advent, all that word means is coming, right? We are celebrating, we're remembering the first arrival or coming of Jesus as our Messiah. And part of Advent also means that we anticipate the second Advent, the second coming of Jesus as well. But why do we pause every year to celebrate Advent? Every single year. And the reason is because we want to make sure that we're taking a significant chunk of our year and we are focusing on this unique aspect of our faith, this almost scandalous aspect of our faith. And that's this, that God himself came for us. That God didn't leave us to figure things out on our own that God didn't leave us to figure out how to follow this overbearing law, that he doesn't just dictate to us, here's what's good and here's what's wrong and figure it out and see if you have enough to make it back to me. He didn't leave us in our state of brokenness. No, he actually came for us. And that's unique to our faith, that we believe that God loves us so much that not only did he come for us, but he put on human flesh so that he could come for us. And in doing so, he became our savior. He lives the life that we could not live, fulfilling the law. And then he goes to the cross to pay for our sins, to pay the penalty that, that we deserve. And so that if we trust in him, we get his righteousness, yet he's paid off our debt of sin. And so we can come close to God. The book of Hebrews talks about this reality that because of Jesus, we don't have to come before God afraid. We don't have to come before God ashamed. We can come before God boldly. We can draw near to God because of what Christ has done. And so we always want to carve out time in our year to just think about that reality, read scriptures about this reality, the fact that God came for us. And so this year for Advent, we are going to focus in on this glorious truth that Jesus Christ himself, who is God, put on human flesh. He became a human. 
And, and so we're gonna, we're gonna dig into this one verse in the book of Hebrews for the next four weeks. Hebrews chapter two, verse 17. This, it says this, this is wild. It says in verse 17, therefore Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters, that's you and me, in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. That in order for Jesus to save us, he had to become like us in every single way. And and what does that even mean? I mean, there's so much to think about with that statement. And so what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to study together four selected passages from the book of Hebrews and asking the question, why did Jesus have to become human? And not just human, why did he have to become like us in every way in order for him to be our savior, in order for him to make a way for us to draw near to God. And so this morning, we're gonna start in Hebrews chapter one, and we're gonna study verses one to three this morning. That will be our passage. We'll read that uh, together here in just a few moments. But I wanna start with this question, and that's this. Have you ever formed an opinion of someone? Then you got to know them more. You got closer to them, heard their story, spent time with them. And then therefore your opinion of them changed, right? This can, this can happen in, in, in many different ways. Like we, we all form impressions of people, right? We, we get an impression. We have an experience with someone or we hear about someone. And so we form an impression. That word impression comes from the Latin word impressio. It literally means a stamp to impress Right, so, so you kind of press an image into something. And so when I have an impression of you, I, I have a picture of who you are and what you're like. And so we all form impressions of people based off of all kinds of experiences. But as we get to know them more, it's possible that that impression that we have might change. In, in, in a couple of different directions, right? That impression can, can go from having a good impression to a bad like I'll never forget a friend of mine in uh, college. I had this, this one friend and uh, we were really close and spent a lot of time together and he was part of our friend group and he was good friends with my girlfriend, now wife. Uh, and, and so he seemed like a great guy. Seemed like he had a really strong faith. And I'll never forget this moment where we were walking across campus and we passed this one girl who was a friend of ours and he just went off on all of the stuff that he fantasizes about her. And I remember my impression of him went from good to disgusted like that. I was like, wow, that's inside of him. I remember I got so angry at him. I'm a very protective person. Um, I've grown in that, but it changed my impression of him like that. Or it can go from bad to good. I'll never forget when I was in high school, I was about to head off to summer camp, and um, uh, this uh, new kid had moved into town and was going to camp too. And so my mom comes to me and says, hey, this new kid, Caleb, just moved in. You have to be friends with him. And so I immediately had a bad impression of him. Oh, this is a guy. His mommy has to make him like make friends. And now I have to be friends with him. And what happened? We went to camp together. We had a great time. We became best friends. Still good friends to this day. Right? My impression of him changed because I got closer to him. 
It's possible that many of us have impressions of other people because of gossip. We've just heard things about them. We don't really know them, but we have an impression of them because of the things that we've heard. You know, as a pastor, it's one of the things I experience all the time is I'll hear gossip or I'll hear how people are talking about someone. And because of just the role I play and the privilege that I get to hear many of your stories, many of you sit in my office or with me and you entrust me to your story or confidential stuff going on in your life. And I think to myself, oh, wow, if you would know what they have gone through or if you knew what they are currently going through, I think your impression of them would change. I think this is what's happening in our community groups right now. If you're part of our groups, you know that we're in a season right now of sharing our stories with one another. And I think this is happening as we speak. We're getting closer. We're hearing each other's stories. We're hearing what the things that we've gone through. And it's changing our impressions of one another because we're getting closer. And as I mentioned to you, we're studying this aspect, this, this reality that Jesus Christ, who's God, put on human flesh. He came to us. He had to become like us in every way so that he could save us. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be studying why he had to do that. And here's the first reason that I want us to see today from our text. Here it is. I'm going to give it to you. The first reason why Jesus had to become like us is in every way is so that we could draw near to God because in Christ, we get closer to God and we could have an accurate impression of who God is and his character. One of the reasons why Jesus had to become like us in every way, and we're gonna define that over the next few weeks, is so that we could draw near to God and therefore have an accurate impression of who he is and his character. Once you see this, Hebrews chapter one, verses one to three, if you read this with me. The writer of Hebrews says this, very beginning of the book, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, look at this, and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We'll stop there for just a second because there's some things in this passage that I want to make sure we all learn from this. So just four quick things I want you to see, and then we'll figure out what this means for us. So the first thing that I just want you to see in our passage this morning is this, is that God speaks to us, and he always has spoken to us. If you saw that in verse 1, it says that in the former days, he, he spoke through the prophets, so, so that would be your Old Testament. But in these last days, he's speaking to us through his son, Jesus. And so what we learn about God is God is not someone who is cryptic, 
He's not someone who gives us riddles or mysteries that we need to somehow figure out how to solve. He's not a God that you can only understand his word if you become fluent in Greek and Hebrew and become a theological scholar. Those resources are helpful to us, but no, God is someone who wants to reveal himself to his people. And so what we learn is that in these days, he reveals himself through his son, Jesus. And so I can't read the Old Testament without reading Jesus too at the same time and vice versa. I can't read Jesus without also reading the prophets because it's the same God who's revealing himself to us. He's speaking. It's the first thing that we learn about God in our text. The second thing that the text is so clear on is that Jesus is God. That that Jesus is fully divine. He is God himself. Our text says he's the heir of all things. He is the king of God's kingdom. It says that he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the substance of God's glory. It says that he, uh, through Jesus, all things were created. It was the power of Jesus that brought about the creation. It says here that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I don't even know what that means other than that Jesus and his divinity is holding all things together. And without him, you and I are not breathing and none of this is operating and happening. Jesus Christ himself is God and therefore God himself is the one who came for us and purified us from our sins and finished that work. The third thing we learn in our text is that Jesus in his human form is the exact imprint of the nature of God. I mean, it's very specific language. The the, the Greek word there uh, for exact imprint is the word character. Character. That's where we get the word character. That, That Jesus is the exact representation of God's character. And that same Greek word means imprint, impression. So that what Jesus does is he gives us an accurate picture. Now I have a a complete picture of who God is in God's character and God's personality and how God acts and what he's about. It's exactly perfectly represented in the person of Jesus Christ. And the fourth thing that we learn is if you combine our text this morning, Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, with Hebrews 2, 17, which I read earlier, which says, again, therefore, that that Jesus had to be made like us, his brothers and sisters, in every respect so that he could be our merciful, faithful high priest. If you combine these two texts, then what we learn is that Jesus is fully God and he is fully human at the same time. It's what theologians call the hypostatic union of Christ. 100% God, 100% man. That, That the divinity of Jesus does not reduce his humanity and the humanity of Jesus does not reduce his divinity. Right? It is a mystery that, that we can't solve, but it's the very thing that the text says about Jesus. And what this means for us, the reason why that's significant is because Jesus in his humanity can give us a 100% accurate impression 
of who God is because he is God himself who has come near to us. Did you catch that? The reason why this is so important is because Jesus in his humanity can give us a 100% accurate impression of who God is because God himself is the one who came down for us to rescue us. And as we read this text together, it just makes me curious what your impression of God is and how you got that impression. Like if we were all honest and we said, okay, I'm going to write down the image in my head when I think about who God is, when I think about God's attitude towards me, when I think about God's character, when I think about God's temperament, when I think about his personality, all of us have an image. All of us have a picture in our head of who God is. I'm curious what that impression is and how you got that impression. I think that's a question that we don't spend enough time on. You know, I wonder if if some of you grew up in a Christian home that was very strict, or, or maybe, maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home. Maybe your earliest impressions of Christians are people who were, who, were, who were very, very strict, kind of more a fundamentalist type of Christians. And, and maybe the, the litmus test of the strength of your faith was your behavior and your ability to keep a litany of rules. You know, I'm curious, like, did you grow up in a home where, you know, you had to read your Bible, and if you didn't read your Bible then you ought to be ashamed before God, that God is disappointed in you. Or you grew up in a home that, you know, you had to go to church every single Sunday. It didn't matter what life was like in the home. Life could be really hard in the home. But on Sunday, we're going to put on our nice clothes. We're going to slick back the hair. And we're going to show up. And we're going to present ourselves as the family that everyone thinks that we are. I wonder if you grew up in a home where if you sinned sexually, you were marked for the rest of your life. You had crossed a line that could never be redeemed. Oh, how many people I talk to who are still recovering from this view of sexual sin as if it is the sin that you can't be fully redeemed from. Or wonder if you grew up in a home where, you know, it wasn't about what was in your heart. It was just about your behavior. So, you know, you couldn't do certain things. You know, you couldn't play cards or you couldn't dance or certain instruments weren't allowed or whatever it was. It was these made up rules that we don't find in our text, but they were kind of the litmus test for how you grew up. I'm just curious if, if anyone grew up in a home like that and the kind of impression that gave you of God. And if you thought about that before. Maybe you've embraced that view of God. And in your faith today, it's very much about external behavior and not internal reality. Or maybe, you know, you become someone like a doctrinal hawk. You're always looking for people who are wrong or you're always trying to look to correct. 
or maybe you have the list of rules and you see people not following those rules as if you sh- that you think that they should follow. And so it gives you a negative impression of other people. Maybe you have a view of God of someone who is always watching and expecting you to fail. And he's always shaking his head. Again. Again. I wonder if some of you had overbearing parents growing up and they used faith to control you. And I'm curious what impression of God that gave you. Or I'm curious if some of you had super absent parents and they claimed to be Christians and to follow Jesus and the impression of God that that gave you. I'm just curious. Or maybe you grew up in a home or your earliest impressions of Christians are, were people who were kind of more on the liberal side of things. And, you know, they kind of had a faith where it's like, take what you want and leave what you don't want. And, you know, take what scriptures you want to follow and, and you can avoid other scriptures. And it was more of a kind of a lifestyle and, and less of a faith that you lived your life by. And I wonder what kind of impression that gave you of God. Like, I don't know the things in our life that have given us impressions of God. I'm just curious if we ever sat with that question before. What is my impression of God and how did that get there? It might be an accurate impression of God. You might have grown up with people who were just diligent to follow Jesus, be close to his heart and represent his heart to you. I I don't know what it is. My question is, Are we willing to be honest enough and ask, what is my impression of God? I'm curious if actually we would spend time this week journaling on that. And just going, if I were to picture God in my head, what pops up and just write? Be honest. You don't have to share it with anybody. And then ask, how did that get there? Because here's the deal. The text this morning is telling us that Jesus himself is the exact imprint of the nature of God. That if we want to know who he is, what he's like, what his character is like, if we want to have an illustration in our head of who he is, then we look to Jesus. He is a complete picture. It's not an incomplete picture. And the scriptures reveal to us who Jesus is. We have four eyewitness historical accounts of the life and teachings of Jesus so we can get all angles on who he was and how he represents God and is God, the exact imprint of God to us. So here's what I want to do. I just have a few scriptures. I want us to go look at Jesus. I want to look at a few of them together And let's form an impression. And let's see, is the impression that we have, do they match? We got to do this quickly. If you have a Bible, you can go to Matthew chapter 9. Just want to read a couple of verses here in Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 35 and 36. Here is a completely accurate imprint of God. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That word compassion there, you see in the text, it's, a, it's an interesting Greek word. I'm going to try to say it right. I have it in my notes. Splagnizomai. Splagnizomai. All right? I, I, there's no way I would remember that. Splagnizomai. It's a very interesting word for compassion. It actually is this word that refers to your insides and the lurching, the movement of your insides. And so if you ever have a wave of compassion come over you or a wave of concern, what happens is you'll feel it in your gut. Something happens in your body. It's an automatic response of your body. Before your brain even knows what's going on, your body is showing compassion towards something, a desire to lurch into action, to move towards someone, to comfort them. That's what this Greek word means. And so Jesus sees the crowds. They don't have a shepherd to guide them. And many of them are sick. Many of them are hungry. Many of them are hurting. Many of them are confused. And he lurches with compassion and he moves towards. This is an accurate representation of God, an exact imprint of who he is. When it comes to the hurting and the broken and the suffering and the confused and the doubting, he lurches in compassion towards. Or go over to Luke chapter seven, verses 12 and 13. Jesus was in this town called Nain, and it says, As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion, same word, on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Again, an exact representation, imprint of God right here. When someone is grieving, he lurches in compassion. He moves towards. So, so notice these two texts, the, the automatic response, right? It, it, it's not, why don't you have more faith? The, the automatic response is, you should know better. The automatic response is not, you knew that you would be suffering in this world. Endure, persevere. Now, there's a place for endurance and perseverance. I just just want you to know that the exact imprint of the nature of God that we're reading in these two texts is a Greek word that is talking specifically about the response of the body before there's a cognitive response, and that response of the body is compassion, moving towards. That's That's the response. Is that included in your impression of God? Go over to Luke chapter 15, just a couple of chapters to the right. Story of the the parable of the prodigal son. So this isn't a story about Jesus, but it's a story that Jesus tells. And if Jesus is going to tell a story about the character of his father in heaven, of God himself, right? Then, Then the parable of the prodigal son is it. I just want to read verse 20. This is the part of the story where the younger son, after he'd spent all of his wealth on sinful things and he had forsaken his father and he, the son comes to himself and realizes all that he had done and he's going back to talk to his dad to see if he could just be a servant in his house. 
In verse 20, this is the exact representation that Jesus himself gives us of God the Father. It says, and he arose and came to his father. That's the young son, came to his father. But while that young son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, same word, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is a son who had willfully sinned against his father. He had done all kinds of things. He broke every commandment there was. But he was repentant and he was headed home. And what's the response of the father? It's compassion. It's moving towards. It's not wagging his head. It's not standing with one eyebrow up in wondering if you're serious or not. It's not saying, oh, he's back. Oh yeah, he's praying again. Yeah, it's been 10 days since he prayed the last time and here he is. Oh, he needs something. Hmm, typical of you. It's not the response. Now contrast that, I got, I got one more. I want you to read Matthew 23. So go back to, to Matthew. I want you to contrast this to a very different passage we're gonna read. This is a little bit longer of a passage, but it's very descriptive, so I want to read all of it. I'll just read it. Matthew 23, verses, we're going to read verses 1 to 14. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, so these are the religious leaders of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat So do and observe whatever they tell you, meaning they're teaching from God's word, but not the works they do. Don't follow them in the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They have all of these rules that they like to weigh people down with. They're doctrinal hawks, always trying to find where people are wrong. Verse 5 They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their phylacteries, their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Phylacteries were these boxes that they would wear that contained the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, and they had these straps that wrapped around, and it was it originally kind of the, the heart behind it was a way of, of literally clothing yourselves and binding yourself to the word of God. It was a very pious way of relying on God's word, but they turned it into something that was more about show. I'm gonna make them big and I want everyone to see my devotion to God's word. And they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in and read the rest of the chapter on repeat. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And he gives a reason. This is a very different passage than what we've read already. But what do we learn about Jesus? What's the imprint that we've received today, the impression of God that we receive today, and that's this, that Jesus is kind and he's patient and compassionate and long-suffering with the hurting and the repentant. But for the proud and the self-righteous, he casts judgment. There's the imprint of Jesus that we get. He's kind and he's patient and passionate and long-suffering with the hurting and the repentant. But for the proud and self-righteous, he casts judgment. I wonder if that matches our impression of who God is. I wonder if when we're hurting, when we feel shame, ashamed of ourselves and we're going to God in repentance or when we've messed up again or whatever it is, I'm just curious, is our impression of God of one who lurches at us in compassion? If we're proud and we're self-righteous and, and we discipline ourselves to do all of the things right, and that has become the anchor of our faith, that has become the thing that we look to to give us the security that we're looking for, I'm curious, is our impression of God that he's proud of us in that too? Or if what he desires from us is to come to that place of repentance in our heart. I don't know what it is for us, but this morning, what I want to just encourage, challenge, exhort all of us to do is to, is to spend the next week on this. Asking the question, what is my impression of God? How did I get that impression? And so I, I can't remember, I don't know if it was in your bulletins or if we're passing out. Did y'all get an Advent Devo in your bulletin? You got one. Yes, they're in there. You got an Advent devotional in your bulletin. It's very simple. It's one page with Melody's beautiful painting on one side. She painted that, by the way. That's pretty darn good. Um, on one page, you have an Advent Devo, Monday to Friday, and you have one scripture. And I'm just asking, all of these scriptures are a story about Jesus, and I'm just asking you to read this because this, these stories are an exact imprint of the nature of God. A complete representation of who he is and his character. And so what I want you to do is read those and I want you to ask these questions. Does this match the impression that I have of who God is? What is my impression of God? Does this match it? Does this challenge it? What does this do? And they're going to be different passages. They're going to impress you in different areas. So I encourage you, take 15, 20 minutes this week, read that passage, grab a journal, answer those questions, sit in with this. And here's what I think we'll find. I think some of us will find some relief as we read about the grace and the mercy and the compassion of our Savior and how he moves towards us in our suffering and in our hurting. And some of you might need your impression of God to be corrected in a good way. Meaning you've been, you've been assuming that he's just been disappointed with you this entire time. And what he wants to do is draw you into his grace and his mercy. So I think some of you will find relief. I think some of you might find rebuke in this. 
Because maybe your impression of God has been this person who is cracking the whip on right and wrong. And that's the way that you represent the faith or lead your family. Or that's how you judge people within the church. You're always looking and you're disappointed in people in the church because you're seeing all the things that are going wrong. And, and I think you might find that the exact imprint of the nature of God it's found in Jesus might rebuke you for that because that's not his nature. And I think for some of you, if maybe you're here today or joining us online or you're listening to this later and you're not a follower of Jesus or you're not sure what you believe, I think what you'll find is an exact imprint of the nature of who God is. I think what you'll find is a true representation of the character of God. And that may just be different than what you've always assumed. And my prayer for you is that that will draw you into wanting to get to know Jesus and who he is and what he has done to save you from your sin. And so this week, Grace Hill, my encouragement to you is that, is that you would take this devotional and you would spend time in these stories about Jesus, asking yourself the question, what am I learning about the nature of God in these texts, because Jesus Christ came. He put on human flesh so that we could draw near to God and we could know who he is exactly. Let's pray. God, I'm just, this morning, I'm, I'm grateful for your son. I'm grateful, God, that we don't have to be distant from you. That, that what following you means is to read a book, get a list of rules, figure it out on our own how to make it happen. I'm grateful, God, that you came for us in and in through your son, Jesus. And that in doing so, we see who you are. We see your character. We see your disposition towards us. We see the kind of people that you're calling us to be. God, I pray for anyone in this room this morning and their Christian life has been marked by an impression of you that's more akin to a, 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 a principal ready to, to deal out punishment or a drill sergeant looking for the smallest mistake and that, God, you would heal that image of you that they have, that impression of you to the one that we see in the pages of the Gospels as we read about Jesus. God, I pray that there would be people in here this morning who feel the relief of your grace and your mercy and your compassion. God, I pray that this morning you would help all of us draw near to you as we spend time in the word reading about Jesus and who he was and what he did and what he taught. 
And God, if there's any of us in the room that need to be corrected, rebuked, admonished through studying who Jesus is, Lord, I pray in your gentleness, God, that you would correct us. Help us to represent who you are. Help us to be more Christ-like people. Help us to be people who are merciful and gracious and compassionate and long-suffering with our neighbors and those around us. Build inside of us, God, a compassion for the lost and the broken and the hurting and the suffering. That they wouldn't be inconveniences to us, but, but God, we would lurch towards them with compassion as our Savior does us. God, I pray through our time in the word this week, you would heal, maybe correct, and Lord, just ingrain in us who you are and help us to rest in that. In Christ's name.